Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 10. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here, stay, stay here with the donkey while I, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on to together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. These are the words of God. Please be seated. Hey, Ken, and you can insert your own name there. Yes, Lord, I want you to take your child, whom we love, go out to the Rockies and sacrifice him for me. So the next morning, you pack up your child and drive to Mount Kid with him. There you spend three days cherishing these last moments, but with your child having no idea what is, is coming. On the third day, you invite your child to go for a hike up the mountain. While you're there, you tie your child up with ropes, and you take the knife, and your child lies helpless before you as you prepare to plunge it in at God's command. Have you been angry at God? I mean, the kind of anger that says, how dare you? Haven't you ever been tempted to say, how dare you? I followed you. I've done my best to be faithful. And here you go and pull the rug out from under me. I trusted you. What are you doing? What do you do when it looks like God is anything but faithful? This is one of the or this is the hardest story, one of the rawest stories in the whole Old Testament. Forget that we know the end of the story. Abraham didn't. But he trusted that God was, in fact, faithful. And he went up Mount Kid with his son, Isaac. There is only one other story in the Bible that has the drama of this story. But talk about that in a moment. We first hear about Abraham 
in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls him to leave his father's household and go to a land God will show him. He will make Abraham a great nation with many descendants. So Abraham packs up his people and he goes. Himself an act of faith. Abraham is 75. His wife Sarah is 65. And they have no children. But a famine hits Canaan, so Abraham goes to Egypt where there is food. But apparently he didn't consult God because while he's there, he loses his wife to Pharaoh himself. God's promise is nearly becomes forfeit because Abraham made a terrible mistake. But God intervenes. Abraham and Sarah are reunited and sent to Egypt. Chapter 13. Now Abraham had come to Canaan in the first place with many people and herds and oxen, etc. Pharaoh had given him much more, donkeys, male and female servants. His nephew Lot, who traveled with him, was rich in his own right. And before long, your tribesmen began to fight with each other. It becomes clear that the land cannot support them both. So he, they part ways. But God reiterates his promise to give the land to Abraham's offspring, uh, who will be as numerous as the sand on a beach. Abraham still has no children. Then in chapter 14, Lot is kidnapped after a spoil of war. Abraham and his allies go to war and rescue him. And on their return, they meet Melchizedek, the priest king, who says that Abraham is indeed blessed by God. In chapter 15, God appears to Abraham yet again. And Abraham says, I don't get it. You keep talking about blessing and offspring, but you have given me one child. So God brings him outside, has him look at the stars, and says, your descendants will be as numerous as those stars. And Abraham believed God, another act of faith. And God counted that belief as righteousness on Abraham's part. And God in a fairly elaborate ceremony, makes an oath to Abraham that he will do everything that he says he will do. We don't know how long this took, these snapshots into Abraham's life, but the next time we see Abraham in chapter 16, he is 85, and Sarah is 75, and they still have no children. But that's okay, because Abraham believes God's promise. Then Sarah has the idea that if Abraham gets her servant pregnant, the baby would really be her own, and maybe that's how God will fulfill his promise. Apparently, they acted without consulting God again. If they did consult God they would have realized how silly it was to imagine that God was thinking, there, they finally figured it out. Took long enough. Abraham sleeps with his servant, or more to the point, he was awake with her. 
Ishmael is born, and with him is born the seed of trouble in Abraham's home, and he eventually sends Ishmael and his mother away. Then in chapter 17, the scriptures jump ahead 15 years. Abraham is 99, and a quarter of a century has passed since God first made the promise of descendants. Now again, God comes with a promise and adds the fact that Sarah will indeed have a son. And the Bible says that Abraham actually, quote, I love this, fell on his face and laughed. I'm a hundred. More to the point, Sarah's 90. And God says, you watch. And Abraham says, you betcha. Then again in chapter 18, God comes, and for the first time, he comes with a timeline. One year. In one year, your baby will be born. Now it's Sarah's turn to lean against her walker and laugh. And then Isaac is born. You can't imagine the joy that this caused Abraham. For 25 years, God has been promising a child, and finally he comes. He is the pride of Abraham's life, the apple of Abraham's eye. So this is how God will fulfill his promise. And Abraham, Abraham looks at this little boy and sees in him a multitude of descendants, even great nations. And in his heart, he gives God a high five and says, I knew you, I knew you would, I knew you'd do it. And so Abraham and Sarah and Isaac live happily all the way to the cliff. Then the unthinkable happens. God calls him Abraham. And Abraham says, yay, it's God. I'm listening. Every time God spoke to Abraham, it was good news. Even when it seemed unbelievable, it was good news. God calls Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham is stunned. And notice how God speaks three times of Isaac's relationship with Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God's word left Abraham reeling. No. No. Even apart from his love for Isaac, there was a promise of God. Surely... God would not dangle the promise of a son for 25 years, grant that son, give Abraham and Sarah time to watch him grow from an infant into a toddler, into boyhood, and maybe even into a teenager, then jerk him away. And he doesn't say, Abraham, I will take Isaac to myself. He'll get sick and he'll die. That would be heartbreak enough. But think of it. God is asking Abraham to kill his own son. God is asking Abraham to kill his own son. Put yourself in that place. 
And in an act of faith that I cannot even begin to imagine, Abraham goes. In an act of what seems like unbelievable cruelty from God, we read, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, young men with him, and his son Isaac. New Testament letters to the Hebrews says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring, offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. After walking with God, for 30 plus years, Abraham trusted God with the life of his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved. I don't know what God will do, but I believe his promises. And while it breaks my heart, I will give him Isaac. Imagine that level of trust. But that's what God requires, that level of trust. But he doesn't command it of us as proof of our faith. He asks for absolute faith so that he can demonstrate his absolute faithfulness. He isn't testing our faith. He's inviting us to test his faithfulness. Are you facing some health situation? You're in pain and it seems as if God is ignoring your prayers and the prayers of those around you. God is absolutely faithful. He is with you. He will do right by you. Are you uncertain about your future? It looks bleak and you have a lot of anxiety about where you'll be a year from now or five, or ten years from now, God is absolutely faithful. He knows what will happen in your future. You think you're holding God's hand, but in truth, he's holding your hand. He knows what is good and what is true, even if we don't know ourselves. He will do right by you. Are you facing death? Is some of you love facing death because of aging or cancer or whatever? Do you trust God with the life of someone you love? Do you trust God with your own life and with your own death? He is absolutely faithful. I want you to say that with me. He is absolutely faithful. Abraham trusted God for that, so he and Isaac went out. Abraham cut the wood for the sacrifice, and off they go. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, no, not like that, and saw the place from afar. On the third day, you think that God would choose a place near Abraham's home, so he could do it quickly, 
But the third day, he gives Abraham three days of precious time with his son. He gives Abraham time to change his mind. He gives Abraham three days of torture. Abraham tells his two servants to wait. Maybe he wants time alone with Isaac. Maybe he knows that they would interfere as soon as they realize what he is about to do. And he and Isaac start out. He puts the wood on Isaac, the very wood upon which he will soon give his life. And Abraham took the knife and the fire. And Isaac says, Behold, the fire and the wood, but aren't we forgetting something? Where is a lamb for the burnt offering? Another spear stabs Abraham in the heart. And he replies, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I wonder if Isaac knew that all was not well with his father, that something was going on in his mind. Abraham hung on every word that Isaac spoke, but at the same time, he seemed profoundly distracted by something. Then they get to the spot. God says to Abraham, right here, and Isaac lets down the wood, and Abraham, and I presume with Isaac, builds an altar. And this would have taken some time, putting enough stones together. Then they put the wood on. Now, what was Isaac feeling? There was his father building an altar with nothing to sacrifice on it. Did he suspect? Did he even know somehow what his father planned to do? And in Abraham's heart, with every stone, got heavier. Did he cry as he built the altar? Did he silently pray, crying out in his heart, God, why do you ask me to do this thing? Genesis 22 records feelings, Facts, not feelings. What did Abraham feel? How would you feel? Lord, take my job. Take my car. Take my health. Take my health. Take even me. But don't take my child. Abraham's heart weeps as he quickly binds his son every knot increasing his terror and torture. He embraces Isaac, lifts him onto the altar, on top of the wood that Isaac himself has carried to this spot. And now it's zero hour. In five seconds, it will all be over. And where is God? When he first called Abraham, and Abraham wrenched out a, yes, Lord, couldn't God then have said, all right, I know your faith, you're good to go? Or when he leaved the next morning, couldn't God have stopped him there? Or any time in the next three days, couldn't God have stopped him there? Even when he's building the altar, but here stands Abraham. Knife raised. He's going to slaughter Isaac. 
NIV translate this Hebrew word slay, but it's the only time it does that. In every other instance, the NIV translated slaughter, and in a few instances, butcher. So the English Standard Version on the screen behind me is accurate. Abraham was a clout belt to slaughter his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved and who lay helpless on the altar before him. And it's only when the life, knife has been raised that a voice from heaven cries out, Abraham! And Abraham says in a broken voice, here am I. God says the words that Abraham had desperately wanted to hear and had despaired of hearing. Don't lay your hand on the child. Abraham has proven his absolute devotion to the Lord because he didn't hold back his only son from him. All the emotion that had built up in Abraham for these three days to fever pitch let go like water from a dam. He weeps and weeps and weeps over Isaac. And then eventually he looks up, and there is a ram caught in the thicket. Isaac is saved. The Lord has indeed provided a sacrifice for himself. Abraham has never offered a sacrifice with more joy. And then calls, God calls again and reiterate his promise he had made for 30 plus years that Abraham's offspring would indeed inherit the land and be a blessing to all the earth. And then he and his son go to Abraham's home in Beersheba. It's an incredible story, dripping with emotion. Probably the hardest story in the whole Old Testament. Nobody else was asked to do anything close to this. Not Noah, not Moses, not David, not Elijah, only Abraham. There is a story similar to this in the New Testament. Actually, it's recorded in all four Gospels. And the rest of the New Testament explains this story and its implications for us. Does the story of Abraham remind you of anything? Does it remind you of another father who showed his absolute devotion by giving his only begotten son, whom he loved? Does the experience of Isaac remind you of, of anyone? Does it remind you of another son who carried the wood on which he would soon give his life up on another hill? Only this time, there would be no voice from heaven saying, do not do anything to my son. Does a ram caught in the thicket remind you of the great substitute, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world? And what is sin? Is it not, whether in word or deed or thought, when we say, I'm going to be the Lord of my life, and not you, Lord. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And the wages of sin is death. But the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And for our sake, he made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. This is good, pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. How great is the love God has given to us that we should be called his children, and that is what we are. I confess that neither death nor life, angels or demons, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, not life or death, would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. The great substitutionary sacrifice, his life for ours, so we could walk off the mountain and go live with our Father. Let me pray. Lord, even in preaching this again, I'm struck by it. You let Abraham off the hook from the most heart-wrenching sacrifice that he could make, but you did not let yourself off the hook because you loved us. You are absolutely faithful. And we're so grateful. We thank you for eternity. We thank you that when we walk off the mountain, go live with you, that is an eternity that never ends. We will never leave your side again. No sacrifice, no tears, no sin. It's all done. And we will be with you and you will be with us. You will love us. We will worship you. Thank you for that. Help us. Help us to live in light of your absolute faithfulness. Help us, and I, I pray this for myself too, afraid of what I pray, but help us to not hold anything back. Help us not to have any doubt about your faithfulness. Help us to trust in you absolutely. And even just go with us today and help us on this day to trust you. In the name of our sacrifice, Jesus, we pray.
Amen.